I took the stand that I would do whatever it takes to be helpful and useful to whoever it is who I um, admire and was kind of interested in understanding. Then I'd have the chance to be around them and understand how did they get where they where they are. And you learn so many things that I never would have thought to ask an active question about. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Making Ways, the podcast all about the unexpected paths to a creative career. I'm your host, Rob Goodman. I'm a marketer and an artist. And on today's show, I'm talking to Sarah Wiener. Sarah is the co-founder of the Good Food Foundation and the Good Food Awards. And she's got an incredible story to share. She grew up loving food. Her mom turned her on to the slow foods movement, which we're going to talk about and get into. And you're really going to hear about somebody who went around this zigzaggy path. She actually studied economics in college, and then she got an opportunity to learn cooking in Italy afterwards. She connected with Alice Waters here in Berkeley, California. And Sarah and I talk all about her path, the things she learned along the way, how she went about forming the foundation that she runs today. And she really has amazing advice about how to learn from people that you're working with, how to get the most out of any situation you're in by really observing and listening. And I'm so excited for you all to hear the episode. If you love food and you're really curious about the business behind food and the industry and how the decisions that you make on a daily basis might impact the world around all of us, this is definitely the episode for you. And we have tons of really fantastic advice and stories that can apply to any career. So let's get started with my conversation with Sarah Wiener. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to meet you and I'm excited to talk to you. I thought we could kick off and and learn a little bit more about the Good Food Foundation and the Good Food Awards which are all part of what you do and what you've been doing over the past several years. So can you tell me a little bit about the foundation? Absolutely. Um, So the Good Food Foundation is based in San Francisco. Uh, We've been around for 10 years in one shape or another. Um, It's a 501c3, so technically you own it. Society owns it. Excellent. Um, (laughs) And we plan... Our mission is to humanize and transform the food system. Um, And we do that with four main programs. Uh, So the one that most people know about is called the Good Food Awards. Um, And it's really fun in that we get to just thank people and recognize them for the amazing work that they're doing, creating absolutely fabulous food and drink all over the country. So you have the awards, and then what are the other prongs of the organization? Um, So the other uh, main projects that we have, um, one is called the Good Food Merchants Collaborative, uh, and it's a group of 21 of some of the best independently owned markets in the country. Um, So it's people like here locally in the Bay Area, um, Canyon Market, Market Hall Foods, Byright Market, and Shed up in Healdsburg. Um, and then nationally, people like Zingerman's, um, De Bruno Brothers in Philadelphia. Uh, we even have like this amazing market from Sioux Falls, um, South Dakota, that was the first business in all of South Dakota. Wow. Um, and um, our thought around that was as we dove deeper and deeper into working with uh, great American food crafters, what we realized is that they can only exist with great grocers 
who recognize um, and seek out the kind of quality um, that they're making and share the values um, and kind of the reason for doing things that right. they do. And select those people to sell on their shelves. Exactly. Yeah. And oftentimes those kinds of um, like really great cheeses or like an amazing kimchi might take more education of the customer because uh, it might be kind of a new taste or a different taste. Um, so it has to be like... Hand sold. Uh, exactly. Kind of. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And explain to customers. And all yeah. this happens every year in January? Good question. Yeah. So the mercantile <laughs> happens three times a year. Oh, okay, cool. Um, once in January with... Mm-hmm. The Good Food Awards weekend. Yep. Once in New York in the summer, and one in a traveling city. This year it will be Portland. Nice. That's yeah. so exciting. Yeah. yeah. And so you obviously have a deep love affair, passion, and you know a deep knowledge and expertise about food. And I'm wondering about when this passion arose for you. I read that your mom brought home a slow foods book when you were young and something in that kind of ignited this interest what what happened in the beginning for you that got you so excited hmm. well i would say that um i have loved food the way some people love music since they're like babies you, know, okay. you can see some babies just dance yeah, to music yeah. in a way that, you know, others just don't respond. Totally. Um, and my mother says that I was the most well-behaved of her three children because she could just give me something to eat and I'd go anywhere. I'd just be quiet. <laughs> I'd been like so content and happy. Um, so, you know, that instinctual um, attraction for me to kind of food, um, you know, grew as I grew up to, um, be a real interest in cooking. Mm -hmm. You know, I was the kid who didn't go to the parties, but stayed home and like baked cakes till midnight. (laughs) Um, (laughs) but really that book was a really important moment for me, um, that, that shaped my idea of what a future could be, um, for myself in food because, at the same time as I was very um, drawn to food, I was one of those kids who did things like um, collect money to save a manatee, like adopt yeah. a manatee and yeah. um, like save the rainforest. I, I was like really into those sort of more environmental um, yeah. work. And uh, that book that my mom brought home, which I think was the first one published in America, like in English, um, around the slow food philosophies. Um, it was a collection of essays and while reading them, I was realizing all of a sudden like, Oh, wait a second. There's a way to save the world while also enjoying yourself (laughs) by eating like good food. This is such a better way than deprivation. (laughs) And like, you know, waste less, use less, right. you know, it was a completely different um, approach yeah. to and the it, same end goal. And it combined, yeah, these this passion you had for trying to, you know, help the world save the planet as a young person with your, your love of food. Yes. And what, what about just kind of like a practical example of like, you know, somebody's out there, they're in the grocery store, they're looking at... Mm-hmm whatever big box food thing, and then they're looking at the, you know, the locally grown one or the organic one or the uh, good food award winning one. Mm -hmm. And maybe the big box one is a little cheaper. Mm -hmm. And maybe the, the, the other one is it's, it's not clear kind of uh, what, what the value is. How, 
how does making those choices like actually impact the world? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Something that was grown by a local farmer um, or made by one of the Good Food Awards food crafters. Um, oftentimes it's going to be, you know, definitely for the Good Food Award food crafters and also for kind of the more local farmers, it's going to be, they're going to be making better jobs for people. So, um, you can imagine like corporations are often have to be motivated by the bottom line as their first choice because they're responsible to the shareholders. Mm -hmm. Um, so any way that they can cut costs, they're gonna, they, they're obligated sort of to take it with any way that's legal. And sometimes they even push the line as we know. Um, whereas a small food producer that's independently owned, um, they share a greater sense of responsibility to, um, you know, their workers because they like see their workers every single day. Mm -hmm. Um, and they share more responsibility to their customers because like often they're like in the farmer's market looking eye to eye, someone in the eye. So they're, you know, can't, make some change that's really going to affect the quality so they can put more money in their pocket without emotionally feeling the impact of that on the other person. Yeah. Um, so on a micro level and, you know, again, like similarly, like they can't make a decision that to use a certain kind of chemical that might or might not really eventually create a horrible like runoff and pollute the streams and like change the ecosystem for, you know, and put, salmon or some other kind of species at risk, um, they see the impact of what they're doing because they're of a scale where they're living it. Um, But uh, um, that's like the micro level. But if you multiply that out um, and consider that food is the largest industry in the whole world, when you consider food as like shipping food, um, grocers, restaurants, restaurants, Farmers, because think of like so many countries in the world where there's less developed kind of industry, like there's still a lot of farmers. Like that's something that doesn't go away. That's (laughs) a job. That's like the first job. (laughs) People need to eat. Yes, people need to eat. I never thought about it that way. Yeah. (laughs) So the kind of choice, the kind of standards within the food industry, like broadly, don't just impact like what you're eating three times a day. It's like that impacts the whole freaking world. Right. right. <laughs> like in a major way. Yeah. Um, so there's just tremendous possibility, but I think it's really hard to bear that in mind when you're like at the grocery store and you know, there's two cheese and they look kind of similar and the packages are both saying nice things on them. Right. Um, but it's the truth. That's yeah. the cho- choices you're making. And as I hear you talk, I hear someone who understands these things very, you know, from a very um, uh, clear and and deep level. And so I want to ask about your decision to study economics in college. And obviously, I can see you're passionate about this. This must have, you know, all this kind of education you had at Dartmouth must have played into where you went. And I'm wondering if kind of at that college decision level, if you were thinking about culinary school and how you ended up going, no, I, I, I want to learn about economics. Mm-hmm. Um, I absolutely did consider culinary school instead of, um, instead of a regular liberal arts education, um, but ultimately decided, you know, when I was making this decision way many years back. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're like burdened at like, what, I don't know, 16 to be like, what do you want to do with your life? Just figure it out right now. Yes. Yeah, no big deal. 
Um, the, the food movement wasn't, there wasn't anything called the food movement. And what jobs were available in food wasn't nearly so nuanced as what it is now. So I thought that my choices were I could be a chef, I could be a food writer, or um, I could like do something else with my life um, career-wise. Like completely separate from food, right? Exactly. And so I wasn't 100% sure that I wanted to be a chef or a food writer. Um, so while I was exploring that, working in kitchens um, in summers and doing a little bit of food writing, um, I was like, might as well get the four-year like regular degree that, that, <laughs> that you know you can have a future with that. Kind of like an insurance policy on your, uh, on your future, that there's, there's, there's something here that I can turn into a career in case I can't spin out food and, and my passion there into something that makes me money and makes me a, a, an adult that can sustain yes. myself. Yeah. Yes, a responsible member of society. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Um, and I also had been very interested in high school and even in elementary school in um, science. I, I One of my early role models was Jane Goodall. Oh, wow. Um, so when I went to Dartmouth, uh, I started with more of a science focus. Um, and I quickly learned like, oh, it's not fun to be in a lab, like doing the same repetitive thing over and over. Okay. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure for some people it is whose true calling is that. Sure, sure. Um, so I started to explore other things. I took a Japanese culture class. I took a Jewish studies class, um, all such as like neat different things. And I took a, an introductory economics class. And what I realized is, oh, wow, like someone has a whole way of explaining the world and the way people make decisions and the way governments make decisions and a new lens to view like history through almost. So that was the part that really fascinated me. Um, and I had had no exposure to it, you know, in high school or up until then. Um, so that really fascinated me. And that's what drew me to it. I never had a strong interest at slash any interest in being a um, investment banker or right, right. Yeah. which many people uh, in your in your class that's the direction they were going in. They they did, and in fact, my favorite um, economics professor, um, who helped interestingly put me on the path to be able to go to cooking school after uh, Dartmouth. Um, he wrote in the in the recommendation letter that put me on that path that, you know, I stood out from the first day when he went around the room and asked everyone, what do you want to do after college? And they're like, investment bank, financial advisor. Um, and then I was, I must have said like, open restaurant. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll, that'll make you, uh, make you stand out. Yeah. And so talk to me about that. So after you graduated with your economics degree, you went on to a fellowship in Italy? Yes. Yeah, so talk to me about that. And and you were learning to cook and, and all yes. of that. Yeah. Um, so the enlightened people at Dartmouth College, Marilyn Grundy was her name. There was a um, fellowship called the Reynolds Fellowship that they offered um, for, for recent graduates to study anything they wanted outside of the country. So um, I wrote a my argument and my suggestion on what to study was that in America, we're a wealthier country than Italy, you know, per capita income. And particularly if you looked at a region like Sicily, that's one of the 
less wealthy regions of Italy. Um, but in America, we don't have, even the richest people had very little access to the superior good of like of like quality food. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Sicily, almost at every income level, you had access to like this extraordinary food. Um, so there was like an economic breakdown happening because according to traditional economic theory, like if you have a more resources, you have access to better goods. Mm-hmm. Um, so I use that argument to say like, I'd like to study in Italy um, cooking and also like the regional traditions of food and the culture around food to try to identify how is it that they've developed a food culture where everyone has access to really quality food without everyone being like super rich. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, and so and and they read in. They're like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. Somehow they said yes, and um, I was in the first class of a school that no longer exists, um, but it was really an amazing experience. It was called the Ital Cook School of Italian Regional Cuisine. And it was in a town called Yezi um, on the Adriatic coast of Italy in La Marche region, and. Um, it was like quite, it was quite an experience in that you can imagine, you know, Italians aren't known for their organizational prowess. So like you can imagine like the first year of like a cooking school and um, it was a partnership between Slow Food, the organization, and the region of La Marque. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was in this ancient, like beautiful castle, like attached to the city walls. Yeah. Did you start working for Slow Foods organization at that time and pick up a, a second internship while you were over in Italy? Yeah. Yeah. So tell me about that. And I like the idea that you were kind of all in on food, but also understanding food in the context of the the culture there and then kind of maybe doing more of the business side at Slow yeah. Foods. Yeah. Tell me about that. Yeah. So um, traditionally the students would go do, you know, a three-month internship in a kitchen. Um, but I was mo- most interested in kind of the slow food type work, which was, you know, how to sustain and support small food producers and kind of build awareness around all the ideas rather than um, just the cooking element. Yeah. Um, so it actually happened in a kind of funny way. <laughs> so the school... Um, on the graduation day, the man who now is the president of Slow Food Italy, okay. at the time had just become the vice president of Slow Food Italy, he and the head of like the editorial department of Slow Food came to our graduation since we were the first class and Slow Food was involved. Um, and we all went out for a drink afterwards. And as um, tends to happen in Italy, like A, the art, my internship hadn't been yet scheduled, like anywhere, like figured out, right, <laughs> even right. though this was like graduation day <laughs> and be like over drinks, like these, you know, people just appeared out of nowhere and said, oh yes, we know exactly where you should go. Let me make a call. And at 10 at night, they're on the phone and then they're like, we have the perfect place for you. You're going to love it. It's right outside Naples. And also you should come intern with us if that's kind of your interests. So I did a really wonderful, wonderful internship at a agriturismo, uh, so kind of a mix between a restaurant and like an, a bed and breakfast. And they also had an amazing farm where like wild asparagus would grow um, down in this tiny 3,000 person town um, outside Naples. Uh, uh, and it was called La Cavea. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, after that, I went up to, to, to Bra, the headquarters, international headquarters of Slow Food, and worked 
first in the internet office, and then I was hired to work for their international office. Hey everyone, I want to tell you about something you can do to help out Making Ways, and it won't cost you a dollar or a nickel or a hundred dollars. It's free, and it's leaving a review on iTunes. Leaving a review on iTunes is an amazing way for more people to discover the show. So if you like what you're hearing, or if there's an episode that really resonated with you, write up a little note to us on iTunes, give us a five-star review, and let us know what you think of the show. Thanks so much, and now let's get back to the conversation. We talk a lot about mentorship on this show, and I'd love to hear about your time with Alice Waters. Mm -hmm. She's an acclaimed author and chef and restaurateur and so many other things. And I want to hear about how that relationship kind of played into your early development and and what it still means for you Mm -hmm. today. Mm -hmm. It's... It's everything. No, it's not everything, but... Um, <laughs> tell us, tell us everything. It's been... Um, I feel so blessed to have had... So, like, my college entrance essay was on creme brulee, and I mentioned Alice Waters and, like, how she's managed to be such an innovator in using food as a tool to change the world um, and change the way people think and how one day maybe I'd like to do something in that vein. Wow. That was in your college entrance yeah. essay? Yeah. So wow. many years before meeting her, having oh, the chance so to meet cool. her. <laughs> and um, I, she became involved in a pretty major way with the slow food movement while I was working for slow food headquarters. She became the vice president, the international vice president. Um, and I made it very well known, my interest in Alice Waters um, and admiration for Alice Waters, um, even as an intern. And the way I, I had the chance to meet her was that there was a international congress that they do every four years. So there were 700 delegates, slow food members from all over the country convened around Naples. And there was a dinner in the ruins of Pompeii. And a friend of mine said, Sarah, come here. And I was like, okay, what? He's like, wait with me. Um we have like a special surprise for you. You're going to be Alice Waters' translator. Wow. <laughs> so <laughs> I waited with him to meet Alice when she arrived. Did your heart stop uh, when that happened or drop? Or were you just like, what was your feeling in that moment? I mean, pretty much. We're in the ruins of Pompeii at night that have been like opened up with like a meal being prepared for 700 people by like four different chefs, including the chef I had interned with. Um, and... Uh, so it was like so magical. That's the one thing about, um, my time at slow food. It was like unreal, like for a 24 year old, um, American to come to this land where like everything is Baroque and like everything is, um, uh, tastes amazing and no one, you know, bats an eye because that's just how it is. Of <laughs> right, course. Right, <laughs> um, right. yes, yeah, so we're going to have a fior di latte gelato from like the 300 year old cafe down the street as our break right. in the afternoon. And you're tasting everything going, this is the best yes. thing of this that I've ever tasted. Yes. And everyone's like, yeah, yeah, it's all that way. <laughs> yes, exactly. And you're like, I can't handle this. <laughs> so this is just one more of those like magical, you know, magical moments when you're like, what? I'm in the ruins of Pompeii and now I get to meet Alice Waters? <laughs> um, so unfortunately, 
Well, fortunately, I was tenacious, but unfortunately, like, I don't think I made much of an impression on her because, you know, it, as it turns out, Faith Willinger, who's in her friend and it's amazing, um, amazing chef and amazing tour guide in Italy was at our same table. So like, and speaks like lives in Italy. So speaks fluent Italian. So I was a little bit superfluous, but I continued to be tenacious. And every time she'd come to Italy for meetings, I would offer to pick her up at the airport and make sure she was taken care of and go for a walk with her. And we developed a strong friendship. And eventually she just said, Sarah, I want you to come work in me in my office. <laughs> wow. And and is that when you came to California or like where, where were you working with her? That is when I moved to California for the first time. Okay. Yeah. In in Berkeley, is that where her office is? Yes. So her office is attached to the Chez Panisse, the restaurant. Yep. Um, so I moved to, to Berkeley um, and I was just up the hill from Chez Panisse and I'd walk down every day. Um, and I was her assistant for two years and I learned so much through osmosis, which I think is an underappreciated art of, <laughs> <Yeah>. of <laughs> nowadays. Um, how does that work? How do, I mean, yeah, how does that, how does that work to you? Just kind of just being there and keeping your, your, your ears and your, your, your brain open in, in terms of what's going on. Cause you kind of talked about yeah. that. I think at slow foods also yeah. that just being in that environment, you kind of soaked it in. Yeah. I think it comes more naturally to introverts, which I am. Okay. Um, but I, I believe that, um, I often see people like want a really active kind of learning or they want things to be explained or like all the steps to be told ahead of time. But what I've found to be so impactful on myself um, and so rich with learning is um, watching, watching how people you admire, like get that stuff done. Um, And I took the stand that I would do whatever it takes to be helpful and useful to whoever it is who I um, admire and was kind of interested in understanding. Then I'd have the chance to be around them and understand how do they how did they get where they where they are and how and you learn so many things that I never would have thought to ask an active question about. Right, and so you were there for two years. What happened after you left? working as an assistant for Alice Waters. So um, while I was there, she had the idea um, that we in America, the American slow food movement, should um, take a page out of the book of the French slow food movement, which had um, used this wonderful event that slow food does in Italy called Salone del Gusto as a model to create its own sort of national event highlighting French food crafters and um, taste education. And so she said, why don't we do that in America? Why does everyone need to reinvent the wheel? This works. Let's just do it. (laughs) And so, um, she wrote up a proposal to the board of slow food USA and we went together to the meeting and she said, you know, let's create this big event in America that will bring everyone together and galvanize everyone. And, um, and they said, great, we love it. Now raise $50,000 in the next like two months to show that like, it's possible to raise the money for this. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And, and I helped her stay on track to do the fundraising. And after that, continued helping her with fundraising as her assistant for this project until we had about $400,000. And at that point, I, yeah. So 50K was the, the, the marker and, and you all went out and, and raised 400,000 or, 
where that was just to kind of get things started and then you really need to build from there. Um, we like met our 50K deadline. Got it. But then we realized like we're going to need a lot more money. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and, then, okay. and then I uh, left Alice Waters' office to open the Slow Food Nation office and help create the board of that event and help to kind of seed that event that we'd raised the money for, which eventually did take place three years later. And it was beautiful. It's the biggest sustainable food event that's happened in America. There were about 85,000 people there over a long weekend. We transformed Civic Center, like that beautiful square in front of City Hall, to be an organic garden, all of it. Wow. Um, It was for months as it was growing because we wanted, you know, it was growing to be like perfectly beautiful for the the big event where Mm -hmm. we had like a huge market there. um, But um, as it was growing, all the produce was um, donated to the local food shelters or, you know, homeless shelters or food banks. And um, we also had at Fort Mason Center, it was like there were two locations in the city where that where it was happening at Fort Mason Center. We organized something called the Taste Pavilions, um, which was 16 different categories like olive oil and pickles and preserves um, where we brought the best of America's sustainable food there and showcased them each in their own unique way we had 16 different architects working on it to create each of the different pavilions wow it was really an all-encompassing sort of like sensory experience yeah and you were leading this whole this this whole organization starting i I led the start of it until we found a executive director who was anya fernald who's an amazing woman who started after that bel campo meets Mm and who I had worked with at Slow Food in Italy, um, was a colleague back then. And then my responsibility um, at the end was as the content manager running the taste pavilions um, and the marketplace at at Civic Center. Okay. And so what were the next steps that eventually led you to starting? It was initially called the Seedling Project, Mm -hmm. and then that would go on to kind of transform into the Good Food foundation. So what were the steps between there? And then I do want to hear about how you started up the, well, initially the seedling project. Sure. Um, well, after slow food nation, I was like, that's it. I need a break. Like, um, (laughs) I don't know, 27 or something, but I was like, I need to get out of this country and like hiatus. It sounds Um, like burnout territory. It was burnout territory. You described for sure. (laughs) Okay, good. Well, at least you had enough self-awareness to be like, I need a breather. Yes. So I, uh, decided to move to England. Oh, nice. Where the food movement was like, there was a lot of interesting things happening in food. Um, and I had an old friend with an extra room in their house. Perfect. So it worked out well that way. That's great. <laughs> um, and uh, while I was there, I had asked Alice Waters to introduce me to a couple a couple people who seemed of interest in the food movement in England. Um, and one of them was Patrick Holden, the at that time director of the Soil Association, um, which is England's biggest organic certifier. Um, as well as kind of their most important um, advocate for sustainable food uh, policy advocacy. And we met and we just hit it off. And he said something very British, such, like, I love I love the cut of your britches. We must work together. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean <laughs> as an American? Is that like your suit or is that um, your attitude and style or something? I think I've... 
I'm going to have to ask him. We sound yeah. so American but right it's, now. <laughs> anyway, it's a great thing, obviously. It, it sounded positive. It of sounded course, positive. Of course, yes. <laughs> All right, so he says this, yeah. And um, the, the project he needed help with was their organic food festival. So they threw, they organized the largest organic food festival in England um, every year with about 20,000 people in Bristol. And it was about to be canceled because the British event producer they had was, um, it was just about the time of the economic crisis and, you know, wasn't sure he could do it and they didn't have anyone to place him. And so he was basically like, well, you just did Slow Food Nation, so <laughs> you could probably do this. <laughs> oh, gosh. Inside, were you yes. like, oh, I don't want to do that right now? <laughs> or were you excited? Yeah. Well, the, the the funny thing was, like, I understood why he thought I might be able to do it, but really, like, the skill set he needed um, included event production skills, which we had hired for, sure. like the person who knows how to place the rentals order and make sure, like, there's a waste plan in place and, yeah. like, for tens of thousands of people sure. um, in addition to like the mobilizer or organizer who coordinates, which was more my piece. Yeah. Yeah. And he also said, and we need someone to take all the financial responsibility. So if it like fails, like the soil association wouldn't lose money, right. which was another thing I couldn't do. So I said, I can't do that, but I know who can. And I gave a call to the head of, or the event producer for slow food nation. Uh-huh. He's this amazing man named Dominic Phillips who has, like a full scale event production company and um here in San Francisco. And I thought it was kind of a long shot because I was like, do you want to take responsibility for an event in Bristol, half a world away? <laughs> <Right>. um, <laughs> by the way, we're not gonna be paid. And um he said remarkably, when I finished telling him the whole story, he said, Bristol, I love Bristol. I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> and you were like, oh, yes, thank, yeah. thank gosh this worked yes. out. Yeah. And he must have believed in you very strongly because, I mean, mm-hmm. sure, I'm sure he was excited about the, the prospect and, and Bristol, mm-hmm. but he must have really, you know, connected mm-hmm. and believed if you were passionate about this and if you were a part of it, that mm-hmm. he had that comfort with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I learned later, um, he confessed later after we had put on a beautiful, successful, you know, festival Awesome. that, um, that the reason he was so quick to agree is that he wanted to start a nonprofit together. Wow. And what that became was seedling projects. So that's how we started. I set up camp in his event production office. Uh-huh. I've put a call out for an intern. <laughs> And together we started exploring, you know, doing a couple different initial projects, one of which was the Good Food Awards, mm-hmm. um, another of which was um, Farm to Desk, which is was, became the first like integrated um, edible education type program in Washington, D.C. Wow. Um, and uh, our concept was, you know, seedling projects that we would seed ideas and projects and be sort of like a do tank. So mm. rather than a think tank, which yeah. brings the right thinkers together, we bring the right doers together yeah. and get things off the ground and would then like hand off those projects to the community for them to flourish and start something new. Mm-hmm. And um, so we did a variety of projects, even one with... Um, uh, well, eventually we worked again with Patrick Holden when he did work here in America. Um, but what what I learned was like the Good Food Awards just had so much potential. It was just like gaining so much momentum more quickly than than anything else. And it wasn't the sort of project we could hand off to anyone else either. Okay. Yeah. Um, 
to this day, it's still vastly unprofitable. Um, that might be why <laughs> we can't like no one else would be crazy enough to do it. <laughs> right, right. It's hard to hard, hard to sell yes. on, on with that uh, fact in in yes. mind. Yeah, but we've finally figured out a way to patch together um, other projects that do earn revenue to to pay for the the costs of Slow Food Nation, which yeah. really in itself enables the other projects. Uh huh. Yeah. What would be some advice that you would give to people who are looking to, you know, maybe become change leaders mm-hmm. as as you've become to getting started? I mean, hearing you talk about building relationships and that, you know, not even it's just happening because you care. You care about these mm-hmm. people, you care about this world and how that's kind of come full circle and helping you build what you're building. But what other advice would you mm-hmm. would you say to people? My top piece of advice is if you want to be a change leader, start by being a change helper. Because <laughs> I think we're taught so much in this culture, like you need to have your own ideas, you need to follow um, your vision. And um, I guess I'd say like, our visions need to be informed, first of all. So like when you do find someone doing something that really intrigues you, that you feel is meaningful, you're going to learn so much more quickly. If you can find a way for them to let you be around them and really understand what they're doing and how they do it, you're going to go places so much faster than if you tried to figure it out all on your own, um, you know. And I would say, like, when Alice asked me to be her assistant, like, I never envisioned myself as an assistant. Like, I was an econ major at Dartmouth. Like, I'm supposed to go do other things in the world, um, not answer the phone. But um, it's the best decision I ever made. And honestly, like, anything she needed, it was worth, you know, and, like, Anything you can do to be of use right. to the folks who are actually making the change that you want to one day make, um, A, you're helping them right. make that change. So you become part of that change. And B, you're getting a crash course on how to make that kind of change. And then C, you get access to so many amazing people so much faster. Right. Then if you try going like, oh, I'm going to write Michael Pollan a letter about this cool idea I had because I'm sure he has, you know, he's going to love it. (laughs) And he's going to want to like hear more about it. And then we're going to get to meet and then he's going to help. Like he is a delightful man and I'm sure he does sometimes get those letters and think like amazing, I'm going to meet with this person. But like he can't answer every letter. But if you were like, I'm going to TA his class or like see if I could volunteer at this project he's at and then just help him do what he's doing and then get to see it. And then he builds a relationship with you. Um, and it's a much faster route to yeah. meeting all the people you want to know and yeah. understanding the world. I love that. Sarah, it's been so great having you on the show. Thanks for coming by and, and sharing so many of your stories. Mm-hmm. Wishing uh, Good Food Foundation so much success. Thank you so much. Okay, that was my conversation with Sarah Wiener. Sarah, thank you so much for joining the show and sharing so much of what you've learned over these years and really great advice. I'm excited to take some of these practices to my life and I hope all of you listening out there really were able to glean some amazing insights from Sarah's story and learn a thing or two about food and the importance of it and how it affects the world around us as well. You should definitely check out the Good Food Awards and the Good Food Foundation. 
Go to goodfoodawards.org to learn all about it. And I'm excited to take some of these lessons about food and the importance of it to the way the world works and the way workers are treated everywhere into some of my daily habits as well. Making Ways is engineered by Jim Heffernan at TTO Productions. Our intro music is by The Sandworms, and we've got some music by Jim Heffernan in the mix too. Be sure to leave a review for Making Ways on Apple Podcasts. It's a really powerful way for more people to discover the show. And visit makingways.co. That's our website for the show where you can learn all about our guests, check out show notes, see the illustrations that I do for every episode, and you can sign up for our newsletter. And on that newsletter, you're going to hear about really exciting events we have coming up. You're going to hear about special offers we have. You're going to get a little bit of a look behind the show. So be sure to sign up for the Making Ways newsletter. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you next week.